Beauty. So I actually hit record on both of them. I've done it before where it's like we're 30 seconds in and I've done the intros and all of a sudden I look down and the record button isn't isn't blinking. And oh, I'm like, no. oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no is right. <laughs> oh, no is right. <laughs> uh, but this is episode number 14 of the Just Ask Vodcast. Super excited. Really excited. I say that. That's one of those words that I'm trying to figure out and trying to work with in my in my speaking is no matter what I'm doing, I'm always super excited, which I guess is a good thing. Uh, but really happy to have Mike Wozluck uh, join me in in the studio in in podcast land here. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you, Mike, and thank you very much for for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Excited to be here. Saying you're excited is like so. I'm a youth pastor, so that's like super youth pastor speak. Like everything is like huge or massive or exciting or the greatest thing ever until like the next thing we do. So yeah, I, I totally get it. <laughs> we do that all the time. <laughs> Right. On. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you understand. Uh, so we're with just ask. We really we're focusing on like developing, building up public speaking skills. I want to become a better, a better interviewer, a better host, um, somebody that can ask uh, like quality questions, but can also speak in front of a room. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to have you here, Mike. And I just want to jump right in. Uh, yeah. And you've already said that you are a youth pastor among a, a lot of very cool things that you do. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the first time that you had to perform or like speak in public? And, um, and were you nervous when you went to do that? Uh, yeah, like so I grew up, my dad was always like the MC of everything and in the front of the room of almost every room we were ever in. So <laughs> I grew up with, uh, a dad who, you know, would pace the kitchen and like try his jokes and then see whether or not he would laugh at himself. And so because of that, I ended up overhearing a lot of that stuff. And then you always want to emulate, I don't know, always, but I really wanted to emulate my dad. So even in like grade school, it was like, you know, every play part you could try out for. Um, but I think, you know, the, the first times really in grade school were probably like grade six or grade seven we had a teacher who would we'd have to write our stories and then um, we'd have to read our 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 creative writing stories to the class right. and um and so somebody would always get to host the uh like the transitions between students and so you know i'd come up with these stupid gimmicks and try to come up with like <laughs> try to pop the class or whatever and, um, and so that stuff was just fun and then I think the first real time I ever got in front of people where they had to pay attention or at least they were supposed to um, in grade 12 my youth pastor let me lead a bible study for like all of my friends like during our senior high like youth time um, and I remember just like prepping and pouring over it and being so nervous and getting up there. Um, and it just came out and I was like, sweet, you know, uh, like I like this. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, I'm always nervous. Um, but it's fun. So right. it's, it's that balance between, um, I think, I think when I'm not nervous, I almost get worried. <laughs> you know, I'm like, why aren't I concerned? What am I not thinking about? What am I not considering? So, but I mean, you know, it was the same back then for sure. Right. And so would you say, like, would you say that your journey began in grade 12 there um, with, with getting that opportunity to speak or did it start like with your dad pacing the floor and that's kind of where your journey began? Yeah, I think it started at home. I mean, you know, we would do, he would, 
come up with these skits, whether it was, you know, he was emceeing a wedding or he was doing something in our church or he was doing something at work. And every once in a while he needed a prop and I was the prop. So, you know, <laughs> he'd bring me along and I'd have to come up with something. And, you know, there was one day where we dressed up in this like two piece horse suit and, um, and, you know, I was the back. And so we're walking around and somebody mentioned the glue factory. You know, we were playing, we were playing dead. And somebody mentioned the glue factory because, oh, we got to get up and like, you know, whatever. So like, it was always just like, you, I learned the stupid <laughs> stuff that way. Um, you, you know, learned that in order to tell a joke that's funny, you probably have to tell five that aren't to figure out what lands and what doesn't. And so I think it was just always, um, I was blessed to live in a home with somebody that was charismatic and like to be in the front of the room like that. And, and so it always was just something I was drawn to. Right. And you kind of, I think you kind of alluded to it, but is it something that you do you still get nervous when you get up in front of a room full of people? Yeah, because I want to bring something, right? right. So the, my biggest fear at this point, I'm not concerned about whether or not I'm like a half decent communicator or, or like a, a, a person that can command a room. I think the thing that I get the most concerned about now is like whether or not what I'm going to bring is something valuable. Mm. Um, whether or not I'm going to, I'm going to tell a joke and it's going to land or whether or not I'm <laughs> going to bring a piece of information and make people go, ah, or make people go, yeah, dummy. We all know that. Like, move on. <laughs> so, um, I think that's the part that makes me nervous. Just mm -hmm. this idea that I know that if I just get up there and start yakking, um, it's probably not going to go well because I, I'm not headed anywhere. And I think that that nervousness, um, again, keeps my preparation in check, but doesn't like prevent my execution from like, it, it doesn't um, hinder my ability to get up there and do it. Right. Um, it just, I think it, it makes sure that I check myself before I, I get up there. Yeah. Yeah. And is that something that like, do you enjoy it once you get up there and you're in front uh, of everybody? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> sure. We're, we're all millennials here. We're, we've all got big heads a little bit and think the world revolves around, revolves around us. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, I love being in front and, and I get a lot of energy and, and I think it's progressed throughout time. Um, I'm a guy who, um, I think I love to like stand, I, I would love the opportunity to stand up in front of 5,000 people and communicate a message. That would be a blast. Yeah. Um, but I think I really thrive in, in, in like a boardroom environment where you sit around the table and, and initiate a conversation and go back and forth. Um, those are places that I think sort of my skills are on display best. So, um, it's just learning how to have a conversation and, and how to get a message across in a way that's effective. And, Definitely. and meaningful to people, right? Uh, and when, like, do you think that comfortability being in like a boardroom uh, stems from the ability to have like some form of improv, improv, like improv capability with it? Yeah, I think so. Like, so most of my public speaking through my twenties was with teenagers or you know middle school kids. So. I mean, you, if you can't read a room and you're supposed to be talking to 12 year olds, you're dead meat. 
I mean, you can't. <laughs> I, I say to people too, like, you want to learn how to talk to 40 year olds, learn how to talk to a 12 year old because they won't be polite and they won't sit there and tell you they're not getting anything. They will yawn and fidget and get up and literally just raise their hand and go, are we done yet? <laughs> and so when that is your audience for 10 years, um, you learn how to read body language, you learn how to make sure you're being interactive in an intentional way. Um, I, I learned how to streamline my message. You know, I'm trying to get to one place and everything that I say is directed at that one thing. Because with, a, you know, 11 or 12 or a 13 year old, sometimes you can't, like with an adult, you can make an abstract example. And, and an adult can sit there and be like, okay, well, with my experience, I can kind of put something like that together. But with a kid, you can't always do that. You have to give them the example. You have to spoon feed it to them. And so right. learning how to, to talk like that, then you put me in a room of adults um, and it, it sort of helps, again, um, body language, the ability to read a room, the ability to um, not be afraid when somebody looks bored right? Um, because you know that you've been in that room 200 times and you can probably find a way to bring it back around. You just need to really pay attention. Definitely. And now when, when you're given that presentation, you see that one person in the room that looks bored. I mean, that could just be their face. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah but but it, do you, do you like go out of your way to try and bring them back in or do you just carry on with your message um, and just know and just believe that that person's going to come back into the fold eventually? Yeah. I mean, it depends on who it is. Like I had one, I did a presentation like three weeks ago, there were about 45 people were at and it was a discussion base and it was really, really good. And after lunch, a gentleman that was about 86 years old in the back row literally dozed off. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't think that has much to do with what I'm doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> we just had a really big lunch and it's a really warm room and somebody got a little sleepy. Yeah, he's comfortable. <laughs> um, but uh, no, like when I do a talk, especially in a room with, you know, 40 or 50 people, I try to pick one or two people um, and I'll direct a lot of my comments or a lot of my back and forth. Instead of doing it at a group, I'll do it with them because everybody in the room can envision that they're that person. Right. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll pick one or two people that I know that can take a joke in the first two or three minutes. I'll try to figure out who that is. And then every little joke or jab I make, I'll just direct at that person. And then it just becomes a thing and it becomes a part of a talk. And all of a sudden, everybody's just waiting for the next one. Um, but everybody gets to interact through that. So um, you just try to find ways to, to read the room and, and figure that out and, and go from there. Do you do you? I like trying to feel like hearing what people compare that balancing act of performing um, performing on stage, delivering a presentation and just like everything that we've talked about over the last eight, nine minutes has all is all stuff that gets balanced when you're on stage in front of all these people. Is there anything that you compare that to? Oh, and Mike, sorry, you're just on mute there. What do you mean? Uh, what do you mean compare it to? Sorry. Uh, like, so the, the, like it's a balancing act of just trying to uh, bring it all all together like the you have to perform on stage you're trying to remember what you're supposed to talk about oh, what your end yeah, goal yeah. is while yeah. also like looking at the room and trying to make sure that everybody's engaged yeah yeah i mean i think that uh it, the more times you give a, a talk that's similar or a talk that's the same um 
or a talk with the same end goal or the same point, the more different ways you have to, to give that talk. And so you can look at it and go, well, this, this would work really well with this group, but not necessarily with this group. Or man, um, I'm really dying here, so I'm gonna shift and I'm gonna try something new, but, uh, but I need to make sure I bring it back around. Um, uh, I heard a great, uh, so there's this public speaker that I really look up to a lot. His name is John Acuff. Uh, he's in the States. Um, he does a lot of great stuff. He wrote a book called Do Over and then another one called Finish. Um, and he talked about um, how when he spoke to students, he gave the same talk to the same amount of students from the same school in the morning and the afternoon. And in the morning, the lights were on and he bombed. And in the morning, the lights were off and he killed. Huh. And the difference was this idea that sometimes people in an audience, when it's less of a well-lit room, people feel a little bit more comfortable and they open up a little more because they don't feel like they're being watched or their reactions aren't being watched. So even when I enter a, a, a speech or a talk, um, I try to figure out what the environment is like. And, and there will be times that I'll be like, hey, can we cut this bank of lights? Or, you know, hey, um, I'd like to use a microphone here, but I think I don't have to. And one of the things that I found in, in environments where I don't have to use a microphone, people feel like they can talk back to me more. Hmm. Um, and that's more of a small room thing than a big room thing, right? obviously. Uh, but um, there's little things like that that I have just found that, that encourage a conversation or, or encourage people to listen. Um, and then I just try not to be boring. I find it hard to believe that you could be boring in in our interactions. Uh, The only thing I have against you is the fact you're a Boston fan. So Uh, yeah, I don't know when that's that's small potatoes. Yeah, I don't know when this is airing, but yesterday was a good day. And given that you're a Jackets fan, this coming week is going to be. Uh, it, it's probably good we're doing the podcast now. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Before that starts. Yeah, <laughs> I find that I find that really interesting. The fact that if you don't have a mic, people feel more comfortable to get engaged with the room, and that's got to just be because they don't feel like they need a need a mic to speak. Yeah, I think that's it. And and I found that. And again, this works in workshops with. 30, 40, 50 people. Once you get past then, you know, uh, too much sound is going to, is going to get eaten up and you have to go that way. But I try to speak without a mic when possible um, because I think it just gives people the license and people know anytime I do a talk, especially one that I hope is interactive, I give people the license to interrupt me at any time. Um, There's no point in me continuing on with something that somebody doesn't uh, if somebody missed something or somebody doesn't know what I'm talking about, right. um, it doesn't really matter how smart I think I am or to prove to those people how smart I am. If, if, you know, halfway through the talk, they have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> I might as well right. double back and spend the time because then people are going to just get more value out of that thing as opposed to whatever it is that I think that they should have to learn. Right. Right. So, um, and, yeah. and I think like, as far as preparation goes and the messages that you, you're putting out there, preparation has to be big. And the more that you get to know the subject, the more that you can kind of speak, uh, from yeah. the heart and from the head, um, in those moments where you're, mm-hmm. where you're working with, and you see those people in the crowd that maybe aren't as engaged, how, mm-hmm. how important is preparation in being able to be prepared for like those kind of oddball situations where something happens? Yeah, well, I mean, when you can fall back on the things that you've prepped, 
I think that you can stray off the path a little bit and always know that you're going to find your way back. Right. If, right. if I need to go in a direction that I wasn't planning on going, um, the more prepared I am, the, the easier it is for me to circle back into the place that I wanted to get to in the first place. Um, because I know my material so well that, you know, different examples or, you know, metaphors you can use or, um, you know, the different things that are going to come up next. And so, you know, sort of how to bring it around. Um, this happens with, with questions all the time. If I'm trying to get somewhere and it's a, it's a time with questions, I'll often wait for the question that brings me to that place. Hmm. So that'll very often happen. You let people ask enough questions and eventually they're going to bring you to where you wanted to go anyway. So uh, a lot, and then people feel like they're a part of the solution or the part of the content that they're now um, consuming. And so I just try to really listen hard when people ask questions or when people make comments and almost try to find the thing behind the thing that they're asking. So like you've asked this question, but what you're really asking is this. And so this is how we bring it back to whatever it was I was talking about. Don't ask me to make an example right now because I'm just going to sit here quietly trying to figure something out. But, um, <laughs> that's that's but okay. But that does happen, I, yeah. yeah. And I, I find that interesting too, because the moment you started um, talking about that, my mind went in the direction of trying to eliminate questions. Right. <laughs> like trying to have those questions answered in what you're doing. And maybe yeah. that's more of a, a sales approach than like an educational approach. But I, did, I yeah. find that really interesting that you you want you aim to encourage questions. And I think that's that's really smart to allow those questions to lead um, because then your audience does feel like they're in control of the conversation. Will we feel more open and probably be more honest with you as the speaker and what you're trying to get out of them or to teach them? Yeah. I, I really like that. Well, I mean, I've got, uh, usually I come with more material than I have time to give. And so then I just sort of, it's, you know, the bad analogy is it's like one of you know, those goosebumps books where you get to choose your own way through. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't try to, I don't try to run my talks like a horror book, but, um, I do try to uh, run them in a way where, um, I don't know what the people in the room don't know. And I don't know what they do know. And I don't know what the people in the room are there for. Usually I have an idea because if I walk into a room and the title of my talk is Bridging the Gap Between Generations, How to Communicate with Millennials and Generation Z, I have a general idea that the people in that room want to be able to do that. But other than that, I don't know where their struggles are or where their strengths are. So coming with a lot of content and a lot of prep and material allows me to then field questions and then bring the conversation where it needs to go for the people in the room, as opposed to where I want it to go, because I think that I'm super smart, which, you know, I don't. <laughs> uh, with the, with your messaging, how, how important is storytelling? Oh, I mean, you know, storytelling, the, the more you can tell a story um, that hits home with somebody, the better you're going to be. I mean, I can, I can throw stats at people all day. So, you know, I throw this stat, um, 48% of, of first year university students that are like active in the church will abandon their faith within the first two weeks of the university. Wow. 
right? So like if I have a youth group of 20 grade 12s and they're all going to university, statistically within two weeks, half of them are probably going to stop to go to church or abandon their faith practices in general. And that's like a wow stat. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I can put names to those to that stat or I can put family stories to that stat or I can say, you know, here's a story of somebody who actively made sure this wasn't going to happen and this is how they did it or the other way around. Of course, it's so much more impactful because then all you need to do is insert the name of whatever person I'm talking to is to your teenager or your grandkid or your whatever. And the story becomes extremely personal. Um, And at that point, you know, then you've got somebody and they're engaged and away you go. Right. And what do you, by engaging um, your audience, what, what do you hope to achieve um, through your message and your performance? Yeah, I just want to bring, I just want to bring value. I just want, I want somebody to walk away with something that they weren't thinking about or something that they hadn't considered. Um, you know, I'm smart enough to know that 80% of the stuff that I say in a speech, people are going to forget. And that doesn't have anything to do with how good or bad of a speaker I am. It probably just has more to do with the fact that people can only take in so much information at a time. Right. And if, you know, every podcast I've, I've listened to like long form hour and a half podcasts with, with incredible content and come away with like one little thing. But to <laughs> me, you know, it's that one little thing that might change the way I do something else. And that's value to me. So, um, if I can, I don't need to change somebody's world, but it, you know, if I can help them look at something in a way that's helpful to them uh, and, and bring value, if I have people walk up to me after and go, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it quite like that. And, and that changes the way that I will act in this way, or that changes the next conversation I have. And that's great. So that's all. I just, I just want to help people. That's that's amazing, Mike. And uh, the, the last question: uh, Do you have any tips for others that are trying to improve their their public speaking? I mean, other than just you know, speak in public more, right? <laughs> get out there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get you know, people think that I'm funny. I'm not really that funny. Um, I've just told a lot of bad jokes, and mm-hmm. so I know which ones don't get laughs anymore. <laughs> and, and I, I don't tell those jokes anymore. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Process. So, you know, of, yeah. Right. And, and so same with public speaking. Um, if you have, you know, a stat that you really like that never pops the crowd then pick a different one. If you have a, um, a point that you think is really good and everybody leans in, then maybe take a couple of the things that, that people aren't engaging with with as much and instead take that one thing that people are leaning into and expand on. Just, you know, for me, it's always about paying attention to the people I'm talking to and then trying to figure out where they're at in the moment. And that's, you know, like that's not the easiest thing to do all the time to try to really, you know, to try to read a room in the first five Mm -hmm. minutes of your talk is a whole nother thing. (laughs) But but for me, I have found that the more rooms I get into, the more coffees I have with people, the more one-on-one or group chats or this or that, the more you just learn about people and how they operate. And, and then, you know, really, you're just talking to more of them at the same time. It's, uh, when you look at it that way, it's really not that terrifying. You know? Yeah, definitely. And I I love the fact that you're constantly... Um 
like revising and fixing your talk oh. to to make it better and you find those impactful moments to be able to make other moments better and through and i think that's really neat yeah i mean i've got um like i've got a couple of talks that i do a lot um and one of them is this bridging the generational gap talk and um and i think i've given that talk 15 times in the last six months or less um and every time I've gone to give it, I've changed something. I've changed a slide. I've changed a note um, because I write notes or I record the talk as I go. And then I'll go back through and I'll go, okay, this person brought this up. So um, I should be ready for this question the next time it happens. And so every time somebody asks something new, I always prepare for that thing. And then that gives you a little bit more content to go with. Um, and then by the time you're on time 10, you've heard all these questions, you're ready for it, you're prepared. And then um, when somebody throws something at you that you're not expecting, you can go like, oh, that's great. I can't wait to <laughs> dig into that and bring that to number 11. Like, right. <laughs> uh, I never 